Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So we've been doing a series this year. In January, we had several messages that focused on loving God. We looked at some individuals who modeled it well for us. In the Old Testament, Daniel and David. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And we looked at things that we do to build our love for God and how that works out in our lives. And then starting in February, we started looking at loving others. Loving others and what that looks like and what that means. And so several weeks ago, we looked in Mark 12 at loving others. And then the next week, we looked in a couple of passages, 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 12, and looked at putting love in action, showing our love to other people. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at loving enough to truly listen. Loving enough to truly listen. And you're supposed to listen not only to their words, but what else? Also to their heart. Also to their heart. And then uh, last week, we looked at loving enough to say the hard things. And uh, what was the illustration, the passage in Galatians 2? Who were the two people involved in that loving correction in the church in Antioch? Peter and Paul. Mary was not there. You old people got that one, right? The young people are like, what's he talking about? But all right. So Paul confronted Peter and corrected Peter and, and focused him back on God's truth because Peter got a little caught up with the Judaizers and didn't want to offend them. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, if I'm trying to please men, if I'm trying to just make people happy, I'm not the servant of Christ. Sometimes the servant of Christ is called to do things that make people unhappy. Parents, you can make your kids happy every day and still be a lousy parent if you're not disciplining them and correcting them and making them eat what's healthful. Uh, That's part of being a good parent. So today we're going to look at loving enough to sacrifice for people who might even hate you. Well, I don't know what's going on with these two girls, but one of them looks like her, and the other's like, eh, you know. Uh, they, they just, they do not want to work this out together. Now, uh, you see on the screen there, Matthew chapter 5, that's where we're going to start. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, but let me mention a story from Acts chapter 6. The church in Jerusalem was growing rapidly. The apostles were in charge, and the apostles were uh, communicating God's revelation, and they were teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And they had thousands of people coming to Christ, and pretty soon the church has way outgrown the ministry of the apostles. So the apostles said to the church, hey, appoint seven guys to help us out, and we'll put them in leadership positions in the church to help with this ministry. And so they wanted men that were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. 
They would appoint those men who had good reputations was also a qualification. They, uh, people had to respect them, and then they would recommend them. And the church would recommend these people to the apostles, and then the apostles would appoint them over certain tasks and business in the church. And that way the apostles could focus on uh, their prayer to God and communicating with the Holy Spirit to get the message right, and then also focus on their preaching message, uh, their preaching ministry, so they weren't distracted by all the cares of the church. In our church, the way it works, we have deacons and we have trustees, and they help and serve. And there's a lot of times when I find out about something in the church that needs fixed or corrected or dealt with, I just text the deacons or text the trustees or text them both and say, Here's an issue, please correct it. And they do. They, outstanding guys that we have serving as deacons and trustees in our church. Uh, they're faithful to the Lord and faithful to serve and help, and I greatly appreciate them. But in the church, those seven guys in Acts in the church in Jerusalem, they picked a guy named Stephen. Now, they had seven guys, and they're named in Scripture, but Stephen really stands out because Stephen was really used by God in a great way. Stephen started preaching and teaching, and, and God even allowed Stephen to heal some people. An amazing thing. Now, that was before the scriptures were completed, and that ministry, I think, is done. God does heal people today, but he doesn't heal them through the touch of some person, unless that person happens to be a surgeon. He heals them uh, medically. Sometimes he heals them miraculously, but he doesn't. I don't believe there are faith healers today. I do believe in faith healing, that we could trust God and God can heal. I've experienced that. Uh, but God heals or not, depending on God's will, not your will, depending on God's plan, not your prayers. And so we just trust him. But Stephen had a, an amazing ministry. And so uh, all kinds of people were being brought to Christ because of Stephen. And the rulers in Jerusalem, they were getting mad at this guy because uh, they were losing their influence and Stephen was gaining his influence. And between the apostles and Stephen, they felt like they were losing out. But they were a little afraid of the apostles. But they weren't quite so afraid of Stephen. And so what they did is they brought Stephen before a tribunal and they had a court case. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen defends himself. And it's a sermon that goes through the whole chapter. And he, he's talking about how the Israelites rebelled against God and harassed the prophets of God and suffered the consequences of their sinful action. And he goes through over illustrations in the Old Testament over and over, stories all these people knew. And then he gets down to the modern day and he said, you rejected Jesus Christ. You rejected him and you are doomed because of it. And for some reason, that upset them. They were really angry. It says their, their, their teeth were gritted against him. They were, uh, and they dragged him out of the city and kind of threw him down. And then they picked up rocks and started pummeling him. Now, how big were the rocks? Some of them might have been fairly small. Some of them might have been big. But, you know, enough small rocks can really seriously hurt. Actually, one small rock can seriously hurt. But they were throwing rocks. They were grabbing him. And they were pummeling him. And Stephen is in the process of being harassed, harangued, and attacked. He's in pain and he's suffering. And what Stephen does is something that's amazing. 
he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then he fell down and died. Stephen could have said, Someday you'll know I was right. Stephen could have prayed, Lord, make them pay for this. But he said, Lord, forgive them for this. So his final thoughts and his final prayer expressed far greater concern for those people than it did for his own welfare. He was concerned for them. While they had gritted teeth and angry faces and nostrils flared and rocks in their hands, throwing them at him, he was praying for them. So if people hated you and were hurting you, what would be your thoughts? What would be your prayer? Would you love them enough to sacrifice for those people that were hating and hurting you? Heavenly Father, as we look in your word today, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Show us areas where we might be a little bit callous or cavalier. Show us areas where we might need to correct our behavior or our attitude. Speak into our hearts. Father, if there are people here today who have never trusted Christ, may they realize that this message from Jesus is contrary to the way the world works. May they see their need for a Savior. May they trust and follow Him. For those of us here who know Christ, may you speak into our lives. May you give us the grace and the courage to do what you have called us to do, to show love even to those who hate us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin toward the end at verse 43. Now, our Sunday Bible classes are going through the Sermon on the Mount. So some of these verses they've already covered. And, and one of the things they dealt with last week was uh, Jesus would say all through the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, and then he says, but I say unto you. And most of the time when he said that you have heard, he quoted something from the Old Testament. They knew this from the Old Testament teaching. And then he'd say, you have heard, and now but I say unto you. But in the verses we're going to read this morning, He's going to say, you have heard, and part of what they've heard is from the Old Testament, and part of what they heard is just from the rabbinical teaching, the teaching of the Jewish leaders, and not from the Old Testament. They added to God's Word. So let's see if you can recognize the difference between what was clearly revealed in the Old Testament and what they added to it, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pause right there. What parts from the Old Testament clearly revealed in the Old Testament? Love your neighbor. What parts not? Hate your enemy. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have heard. Now, just because you've heard something doesn't mean it's accurate. You know it's true, right? You read it on the Internet. 
And it was a medical doctor who said it, so it's got to be true. I feel bad for the great medical doctors out there who have to endure all the quacks who post crazy stuff online. I often hear people talking about or quoting from or writing about something that it's a proven fact. And it's not a proven fact. Just because there's a positive correlation doesn't mean there's causation. That doesn't mean that something actually happened like that. Uh, anecdotal correlations do not prove anything. And so we need to make sure what we repeat to other people is true. That's why we often say, in God we trust. You know, you've heard that little saying, right? That in God we trust, all others pay cash. Uh, but the truth, in God we trust. In God's word, we have absolute confidence. But we're wary of what other people say. Because it might or might not be accurate. How many of you have said something, you were absolutely certain it was true when you said it, and later on you realized it wasn't, and you wished you hadn't said it. Anybody? Honest confession time here? Yeah, we've done that. So try not to do it. Try and make sure what you share is truthful. So love your neighbor. There are dozens of verses in the Old and New Testament about our need to show love to other people, about our our obligation. We spent a month talking about it. We just looked back at some of the messages. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, sometimes we get hurt. And our reaction to getting hurt is anger. And if we think somebody is the cause of that hurt, we feel angry toward that somebody. That's an easy emotion to experience. And the Jewish leaders and teachers had been teaching that message for a millennia. Hate your enemies. And they had a long list of enemies. They hated a lot of people. And now Jesus comes along and he said, You have heard in the Old Testament scripture, love your neighbor. And you have heard in the rabbinical teaching, hate your enemies. But look at verse 44. But I say to you, Jesus, the Son of God, speaking to them, says, I say to you, love your enemies. Now, some of your translations will jump right to the end of this verse. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And they leave out the middle of the verse. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, some of the early manuscripts left out the middle of that verse. So the King James and the New King James, they include those verses. Some of the other early translation or manuscripts didn't. You know, the Bible was originally written, this part of it, in Greek, most of the Old Testament in Hebrew, some in Chaldee, the New Testament, most in Greek or Aramaic. This part spoken by Jesus was a combination of Greek and Aramaic and uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so most of the, all of the Bible is a translation that we have, and it's based on manuscripts, and some of the early manuscripts did not include the middle of that verse. But Listen to this part of it. Um, 
Sorry. What we have to realize, those are biblical teaching, and I had notes here that said that, and it's gone. I had the exact references in Scripture in the Old Testament where those two things are taught, where, and, and I don't know how they were in my notes on Thursday, but they weren't this morning. So, um, pray, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Those are both taught in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So Jesus, even if it wasn't in the original manuscript at the exact time Jesus was saying it, those are clearly biblical instructions that we can know and follow. So I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I've said this before, when you're praying for them, you're not praying, Lord, make them pay. You're praying like Stephen, Lord, forgive them. Lord, help them, draw them to yourself. There are lots of verses in Scripture. So Jesus takes our natural tendency to get mad or to hate our enemies, and he says, I reject that, and what I want to see is not a natural response, I want to see a supernatural response so that you respond the way I respond to the people who hate me. While we were enemies with God, how did God feel toward us? He loved us. When did Christ die for humanity? When humanity was worshiping him and joyfully following him? No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us while we were rejecting him. And so he wants us to respond like he does, to show love and grace to people. Now, you're going to hear a lot of things that are partially truthful. Love your neighbor. That's true. Hate your enemy. That's not. So it's partially truthful. But you need to realize if it's not all true, then it's not true. It's got to be 100% true to be truthful. So, love your enemies, that was truthful, 100%. Hate your, I mean, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, that was not truthful. That was not biblical. That was not God's plan. So, we need to have loving action toward people who don't like us. Loving action toward people who hate us. Loving response to people who hurt us. Because trusting Jesus Christ changes your destiny and your heart. You were on your way to hell. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We were on our way to hell. But God in his grace and mercy brought Jesus Christ into this world. He lived a perfect sinless life. He paid the penalty for our sins. And instead of being on our way to hell, now we're on our way to heaven. Instead of being in the kingdom of darkness, we're in the kingdom of light. Instead of following Satan, we're following Jesus Christ. You didn't even know you were following Satan. You were still following the plan that he had set out to try and deceive you and lead you astray. But now you're following Christ. But it's not just, hey, when you die, you get to go to heaven. How many of you think that's pretty cool? Huh? 
Yeah, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Woo! You know? Uh, Billy Graham was asking an old boy in town one night, and he said, uh, son, would you like to go to heaven? And the boy says, no, I don't think so. And he says, you don't want to go to heaven when you die? He said, oh, I thought you meant right now, and I like what mom's fixing for supper. <laughs> you know, we, we want to go to heaven. I'm not in a huge hurry to go there unless the trumpet sounds and we all go up together. The process of getting there can be painful when your life on earth ends. But we want to go to heaven, but God wants more than that. He wants your heart to be changed. In fact, if your heart isn't being changed by God's word and by God's spirit, you're probably not a child of God. I know you can live in rebellion. A believer can live in rebellion. Peter said, if you're not growing, you can forget you've been purged from your old sin. But the truth is, if you are genuinely following Jesus, not just you trusted him back then, if you're following Jesus, your heart will be transformed. You will be changed. So um, Romans 12, 14 it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 20 and 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Jesus says, um, uh, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is what he wants to see. He wants to see you being kind to other people in a way that shows the world there's something different about you. In South Africa, there was a police officer named Vanderbrook. And uh, Mr. Vanderbrook was finally arrested and stood trial for his crimes. And there was a lady in the auditorium, in the, in the courtroom, who was uh, in now in her 70s, but when she was younger, Mr. Vanderbrook had come in and had killed her son. And then he had come back and had hauled her husband away. For two years, she had no idea where her husband was. And then Mr. Vanderbrook came back and he took her away. And he took her to where her husband was. He'd been tortured for two years. And then he made her watch her husband die. And years later, she's in a courtroom. And he's in the box. He's on trial. He's the defendant. He is guilty. And now the court asks her to speak. What does she want done? And this man who had murdered her son and husband and briefly kidnapped her, who destroyed her life and her hopes and her future, said, I want to forgive him in the name of Jesus Christ. And two of the court people picked her up, helped her. They carried her. She couldn't walk on her own. So two of them grabbed an arm, each one, and they carried her up, and she put her arms around that evil man who had hurt her family so much. And she said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. And that hardened criminal that brutalized people 
started crying and her friends in the courtroom started singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Sing it with me. That saved a wretch like me. this verse and the Bible says love your enemies and she made it happen in a courtroom sad thing is in our courtrooms they would have pounded on the gavel and dismissed the people for uh, disturbing the court session when they started singing that hymn but they sang that hymn I wrote about a mom in Oregon whose daughter was murdered and she wrote a letter to the guy who murdered his daughter and she spelled out the gospel in that letter. She didn't know if she'd hear from him or not. She heard back from him and she, they started corresponding with each other and he trusted Christ as his savior. So she went to the prison and met him and talked to him about the Lord and and. He started growing and in his faith. And then he came up for parole. And they said, well, you can't get out on parole unless there's a place you can go. Well, his parents were dead. His brother and sister wanted nothing to do with him because he was a career criminal. And so he contacts this woman, the mother of the lady he killed. And she says, he can come and live with me. She took him in as a son in her house. Jesus did more than that for you. God the Father loved you so much, he allowed his son, God the Son, to pay the penalty for your sin. And no matter how bad your sin when you come to God and you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Some of you got saved when you were little. You were still cute back then. You didn't have lots of baggage in your life. Some of you got saved at the end of a long, hard road. But we all get saved the same way. Receiving the gift of salvation from Christ. More people have been reached for the gospel by Christians showing love than by Christians showing hatred. Protesting and banners and yelling, that doesn't change hearts. But when we respond with the heart of God, God who looked at sinful man and said, I know mankind's going to rebel against me. I know mankind's going to sin. But I'm going to make a way for them to be saved through the life and death and resurrection of my son. See, God wants you to act more like him than you act like the people around you. Verse 45. He says, 
that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God doesn't have a special sunny day for believers, but it's a rainy day for everybody else. Maybe you've seen those jokes and videos where it's only raining on one person and they walk around and it's only raining on them. God doesn't do that. It's not sunshine and glory for those who trust him. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't mean you're never going to suffer from cancer or other debilitating injuries. You're never going to have a car wreck. You're never going to have surgery. You're never going to have a health issue. What it means is you're never going to go through it alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And God allows unsaved people to experience his blessings on planet Earth. And he allows them to enjoy the sunshine. He allows them to experience the refreshing rain. And he gives those blessings as an attempt to draw them unto himself. Even the rainbow, which has been hijacked in our culture, but the rainbow was a sign of God's love for humanity that he would not judge and condemn the earth again. In that way, there would never be a worldwide flood again. Every time there's a rainbow, we have a testimony of that. But why should we be so kind? Because that's how God's kids act. God's kids learn to act more like their heavenly father than their earthly father. Some of you had great earthly fathers. My dad was a great dad in my life. He was very harsh. He was rough. In today's culture, he would clearly be called abusive. He apologized for that when I was in my 30s. He made loving him very difficult for a significant part of my life. But my Heavenly Father has never made loving him difficult. He's made it glorious. God wants you to respond more like your Heavenly Father than like your earthly father. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors or publicans do the same? The, the people who don't know God. Now, here he uses the word tax collectors. Other translators just say Gentiles. But listen, those who know Christ in their culture, the tax collectors, the public, those were the worst people because they not only took more than they should. In our day, I, I'm not very fond of having to write my check to the IRS, but uh, and mostly because I know how some of that money gets used. And I'm not happy to support that. But I do it because it's the legal right thing to do. But in their culture, you, they could take extra. They could steal. They, and not only that, they were giving money to the enemy. It, you know what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Imagine somebody in Ukraine who is uh, living near the border with Russia. And they're gathering all the money they can get from the Ukrainian people. And they're giving it to the Russian army. That's what the tax collectors did in Israel. They gave the money to the oppressive, obnoxious enemy. So he's saying, if you only love people who love you, you're acting just like them. Now, to us, that's like, oh, that's interesting. To them, that's like, slap in the face. Come here, AJ, let me show them. No. Uh, 
It's like slap in the face. It, this was bold. This is, you're acting just like the people you despise when you act like that. You're not acting like God. And they prided themselves on being the people of God, but they didn't live it out. And so he says, you're doing exactly what those other people do, and that's no big deal. The Gentiles, the publicans, the tax gatherers, they love the people who love them. But I want you to love the people who hate you. Then he ends in verse 48, ends this chapter. Therefore, you shall be perfect or mature and complete, just as your heavenly Father is perfect, mature, and complete. God doesn't have special weather patterns for us, special financial patterns for us. God wants us to show his love to people who are obnoxious toward us. Because they need to know that God loves them. And the only way on earth a human being can experience God's love is through the love of God's people. As we show love, they can experience God's love. Now, God wants you to show love without neglecting truth, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes a loving parent will discipline a disobedient child. In fact, a loving parent will always seek to correct the bad behavior of a child. So you speak the truth in love, but you don't hide the truth. Love without truth is just sappy sentimentality. I love you no matter what you do. You know how, I mean, those of you who are married, one of the reasons you love your spouse is because they're committed to you and faithful to you and, and you appreciate that. But if they weren't, then it would really be hard to love them. Some of you know that by experience. It's, it's very difficult to show love to somebody who repeatedly violates trust and hurts. But to love with truth, that's Christ-like. To love with truth. See, trusting Christ changes your heart, not just your destiny. So we have a great illustration. I want you to turn to two passages. And the first is Acts chapter 8. And we'll be there just for a moment. And then we'll turn to Romans chapter 9. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gave his sermon. And he spoke the truth to these people who were in rebellion against God. And they got angry. And they hated him. And they despised him. And they stoned him. And, and he prayed for their forgiveness. And it's interesting because his prayer maybe helped this next guy. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Look at the verse before that. Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not, lay, do not charge them with this sin. Do not lay this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was a vicious man. Saul would arrest people and haul them to prison. 
He would even uh, give testimony against them. And while people are hurling rocks at Stephen, who had broken no law, who had not hurt any person, this riotous mob reacting with angry hatred, and Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a leader in Israel. Saul was a leader in Jerusalem. And Saul stood there, and they maybe laid their coats down at his feet as they went and did this. And when it was all done, Saul just nodded his head, probably even told him, good job, guys. Now turn to Romans chapter 9. This guy named Saul, who hated people who disagreed with him, who wanted to arrest them, beat them, imprison them, and even have them put to death. This guy who watched an innocent man be bludgeoned to death and consented that, gave his authority over it, his sanction of it. This guy's had a change of heart. He trusted Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He became a follower of Jesus. And this guy who hated people who disagreed with him now has a totally different heart. Look in Romans chapter 9. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, he has such a burden to see those who are Jewish, those who were raised in Israel, those who've had the Old Testament scripture so clearly revealed and taught to them. He has such a burden for them to be saved. He says, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ. What would it mean for somebody to be accursed from Christ. What would that have meant in that day? What does it mean in our day? To be accursed from Christ means that you are still under the condemnation of your own sin. So, Paul is saying that, and by the way, he was Saul in the book of Acts in that stage, but he, his name became Paul. And some say, well, Saul was the Hebrew way of saying it. Paul was the Greek way of saying it. And he became the apostle to the Greeks and Gentiles. And uh, some say, well, Saul meant big rock, like I'm the big guy. And Paul meant I'm the little guy. And it showed his humility. I'm not sure. I just know that the Bible's very clear. Saul started becoming called Paul. And so Paul said in Acts, I'm okay with that. You guys put him to death. Good job. Now in Romans 9, he's saying, if I could, I would go to hell so that these people could be saved. I would suffer eternal condemnation for my own sin if that was enough for them to get into heaven. Do you see a little bit of a change of heart here? You mess with me, you die. And now, I wish I could die in your place. What a transition. How did that happen? He received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Christ changed his 
heart. And God wants you to develop the capacity to sacrifice for people who might even hate you. To develop the capacity to show love toward your enemies. That you may be called the sons of God. Ladies, don't be offended by that. See, in their culture, and even in Britain, even into the 1800s in Britain, the inheritance was normally to a son. That was the legal thing. Uh, so um, in, in our family, our firstborn was our daughter Jessica, but our firstborn son was Nathan. And so if we were living in that culture, then he would be the son of inheritance. And if, if the girls got anything, they would get it because Nathan chose to share a little bit with them. Uh, otherwise, it would go down to then his firstborn son, Avery, and so that would just transition through that. And so God says, he, when he uses the term sonship, he, he includes the women in that because in their culture, women rarely received inheritance. It's extremely unusual in the Bible where that showed up, not because that was God's plan, but because that was humanity's plan. And a lot of guys, even today, are very biased against women. I think there's a different role for women and a different role for men that God has designed and planned. But we all come to Christ the same way. We need to learn to show love to people who maybe hate us, who maybe hate our values, who maybe hate our political understanding, who maybe hate our understanding of finance and economics. We need to show God's love to them. Because if they don't get it from the children of God, where are they going to get God's love? Where will they see it if they don't see it from you? Heavenly Father, please show us how to live this out. Give us the grace and strength that we need in the process. Thank you that we don't have to do this in our own strength. We have the supernatural capacity of the Holy Spirit living inside us so that we can do what you have called us to do. And I pray that we would. Thank you for your love and grace, your capacity to forgive, your capacity to give new life. Thank you for the change from Saul to Paul. I thank you for the faith of Stephen. I thank you for the truth that we have from your word, that we can grow, that we can be changed, that we can make a difference in our world just by following you and sharing your truth with love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.